you have your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be in verse 11 and 12 this morning. Verses 11 and 12. Uh, let's read starting in verse 7. And we'll catch us up from there. Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. And saying He ascended, what does it mean that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Let's pray once again. Fathers, we look at your marvelous words here this morning to us, to those in Ephesus thousands of years ago, and to us this morning. Father, may our hearts delight in your good graciousness to us as a people that you have given us not just ideas and not just thoughts to think upon, but you've actually given us gifts, practical help, practical help and practical leadership and practical things for each and every day to help us become the people that you have chosen us and predestined us to. That we would be holy and blameless before your sight, Father. That in that we find the most fulfillment as we are set free from sin and we bring glory to our Creator. Those were the tracks that we were meant to run on. That was the kind of relationship with our Father we were supposed to enjoy. And Father, You've not just given us things to aim for, but You have given us help in getting there. Father, for even in, the Egypt, uh, even in the Israelites wandering through the wilderness, Father, they were never wandering alone. Father, for they always had their God leading them and caring for them. And Father, we too, today, are not wandering on our own toward heaven, but have been given graces to help us get there. that we would indeed walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've called us. And so, Father, we give you thanks for that this morning. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So Christ has given us gifts so that we might enjoy the fullness of Him as we grow into the fullness that is Him. That's kind of what I stated last week. That we're given, each of us are given gifts in the body. And, and to define this a little more clearly, I'm thinking in terms of spiritual gifts. I think that's what Paul has in mind here with a little bit of a separate category that we're going to talk about this morning. 
but primarily these spiritual gifts he's given to each person in the body upon salvation, upon the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. We're given uh, at least one gift that is supernatural in, a, uh, in one way to, to use for the benefit of the body. And we talked about practically last week how, how that is to help us, first of all, experience the fullness of Christ because we all have different gifts. And Christ yet is all of those things. And so as we get to be a part of the body, we get to experience those gifts of Jesus through the church. And so in, in, a, in, a, in a real way, we get to experience mercy. Jesus is merciful. And some of us are not. We talked about it last week. I'm not very merciful. Uh, but I get to experience mercy, the mercy of Jesus as His gift is supernaturally empowered in people in the body for me to then enjoy and to experience then second, not only for me just to enjoy, or you to all to enjoy, but also for us to grow in those things as we grow into Christ who is our head. So on this side of eternity, we can only know the fullness of Christ as we experience the gifts of Himself manifested in different people of the body. And the spoils of Christ's victory are His gifts. And I I hope that that hit you in a very hard way last week. That the gifts he has given to the church were not just something he kind of just pulled out of nowhere and said, here, I'm going to give these to these people. No, these gifts and the giving of these gifts to his people cost Jesus his life. He, through the cross and his redemption, readied each of our personhoods to receive his spoils. His gifts lead us to each being filled then with the fullness of Christ who is our head. And now Christ is supplying His people with everything necessary to foster the growth and perfection of the body. So having Jesus, having achieved dominion over all the powers of the world in His victorious ascent to the throne... He now sovereignly distributes gifts to the members of His body. And the building of His people is inextricably linked with His intention of filling the universe with His rule and with His power. Why? Because the church is God's chosen instrument in carrying out His purposes. I mean, I, I know, some of our church backgrounds, we go, how, how in the world is Jesus going to use this group of people to fill the cosmos with His power and His glory, right? How is God going to do that? Well, the reality is, in some churches, He's not going to use them, because <clears throat> they're not a church. But even here, like if we think, all right, this, I think this is healthy. What God's doing here is this is awesome. But even here, how is God going to use this place to spread His rule and His power to the cosmos? How is He going to do that? It's only by His supernatural gifting of His people. It's only by His grace. It's only as His people grab a hold of that reality and begin to live in that 
reality. But here's the problem, though. At least one of the problems. We tend to have, I think, a very individualistic and autonomy-driven view of spiritual gifts. We have a very, a very, well, I'll put it this way. Most of us think about the gifts that God has given us, and if we see them as gracious gifts from Jesus, then we will use them for the building up of the body and leading others to the fullness of Christ. That's a good thing. That's what we talked about last week. And this is great. You get a gift and you get to use it for God's kingdom. But even in the midst of that, our mindset is often, I get to use the gift how I want, when I want, and I get to develop this gift on my own. You see, there's still this tinge, or maybe even this overwhelming sense of, individualism when it comes to the gifts that God has given to us, even in the midst of using them for other people. Like we can use our gifting for other people and still be completely self-oriented. Does that make sense? Everybody follow tracking with me? Use it when I want, how I want, for my convenience, for my worship even. But see, this is not the teaching of the New Testament. This is what I hope to explore with us today, that the view of the New Testament is not for us to be individualistic at all in the sense of using our gifts, but today we're going to explore some very specific gifts that Jesus has given to the church, and I want to talk about these specific gifts that he's given to the church, and then how we kind of interact with those gifts, how we, how we exchange relationship, and how we, how we work with those, these gifts that Jesus has given to the church in, in a way that honors Him. And I want to remind you again that we will never experience the fullness of Christ apart from the ministry of the local church. This is where Christ is meant for us to grow in His fullness and as we experience His fullness. It's in this context, again, that Jesus has given some very specific gifts to aid in this journey. And let me say this last statement. If you would see these gifts as gifts from a gracious gift giver, then it would change the way you interact with them. It will be something very meaningful and very fruitful if you see them as a gracious gift from God. First point is this this morning. The past and present leaders of the church are gifts administered by Jesus Christ. The past and present leaders of the church are given are gifts administered by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. And 12. Let's read 11 and 12, and I'll show you where we're going to concentrate for the next few moments. Verse 11, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, here's what I want you to see. I I want you to make sure, here's what we do. We, We pull this verse out of context a lot. And we just start talking about how he gave apostles and prophets, and then we quickly go into which ones are here and which ones are not here anymore, and which are, you know, so on and so forth. And what's the context? What just 
He who also ascended, descended. And these are the spoils of his victory. The spoils of his victory over sin and death and Satan are at the very least these things here in verse 11. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. So don't miss the context here. These are good gifts from God's hands. So let's talk about these for a few moments. We're just going to look at verse 11. First of all, we still have the gifts of the apostles, prophets, and evangelists. Now, here's the deal. When we tend to talk, if you've been in church much, we talk a little bit about whose offices are still here, and why don't we have apostles anymore. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. But I want you to see that we still have the gifts of the apostles and the prophets. Look at Ephesians chapter 20, chapter 2. There's no chapter 20 in Ephesians, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the what? The cornerstone. So the cornerstone is laid, and then the foundation is laid by the apostles and the prophets. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So with Jesus as the cornerstone, the foundation came by the apostles and the prophets. This means that the fullness of the Word, the foundation, this, it's this largely, is laid by the apostles and the prophets. It means the fullness of the Word and Christ and God and the Spirit as they're revealed to us through the Word is laid by the apostles and the prophets. We have the Bible. So if we want to think about this, how are we then gifted with the apostles and the prophets and how are they gifts to us today? It's through the Word. It's through the foundation that was laid in the Scriptures. Now, for a brief second here, we, I, I don't think that the apostles as a, as a, as a role, or as, a, as a people continue, I think that that ends with, with the twelve apostles. And, but these offices, I think they're gone, and here's why. We talk about some reasons for what made an apostle and so on and so forth. I'm just going to list a few of those. But an apostle must have been a witness to the Lord's resurrection himself. So we don't have any apostles today because none of you are witnesses, right, to the Lord's resurrection. I mean, you may be a witness to the effects of the Lord's resurrection, but no one saw in this room or alive today the Lord's resurrection. A dream doesn't count. An apostle must have been called and commissioned by the Lord himself. Again, we don't have any of those today. A third, an apostle must have been given a supernatural revelation of the truth. A supernatural revelation of the truth. I'm not going to go into much more of that, but here's some of the reasons why I don't think apostles continue to this day as an office, as a, as a people. <clears throat> you know, there are other denominations that maintain that apostles continue on. Um, but I'll leave it at that. Second, uh, the prophets. I don't think that the prophets can have continued on. I think that that is done. We talk about prophecy as a spiritual gift, but that's different than this role of prophet here in the New Testament. 
When we think of prophecy as a spiritual gift, it's this idea of discerning and uh, not, not discerning, but uh, but proclaiming the truth. And um, but here, this is different. Here, this prophet, these prophets are tied as they tied to the teaching of the apostles. And I would argue that we have no need for these prophets who are tied to the teaching of the apostles because we now have the teaching of the apostles. We have now have the written word of the apostles. So we don't need anyone tied to that. Now, the third group here, the evangelists. This is debatable. Um, it's debatable on whether or not this actually as an office continues today. There's some denominations that love their evangelists and some that don't have anything to do with evangelists. I think it's debatable. I think it's likely, here's just my take on this, I think it's likely that this role of evangelist is done. Um, that's a more of a minority view, but I think this role of evangelist as an office here, like apostles and prophets, I, I think it's done. I think it seems to be tied to the apostles. I mean, we have like three examples of evangelists in the New Testament. You have Philip, you have Timothy, and you have Titus. It seems to be that they were tied to either going after the apostles or coming before the apostles and preparing. But whether they're here or not, you know, I, I don't know. But it seems to be that this is the case. Um, but I do think, though, that God, though, still empowers people, some people uniquely, with evangelistic just blessing. I think there's some people that, that God just opens the floodgates of evangelistic opportunities and fruit, but, but, but I, I think, in, in my estimation, I think, but if, if, if you disagree, that's it's no biggie. There's not a whole lot of support either way. But these offices, at, le- at the very least, apostles and prophets, I believe are long gone. However, the foundation that they laid is still here. It's still living on in the Scriptures. And so I want to make sure that as we think about these as gifts to the church, that we don't just go, oh, wait, well, we don't have apostles and prophets, so we'll just put that idea in the closet and we're not thinking about it. No, no, we have those gifts, and we get to enjoy those gifts, at least the fruit of those gifts even today. But then these last two, the shepherds and teachers. I think what he's saying here is, is actually one office but two functions. One office, one person, but two functions. And we currently have the gift of pastors. One office, two functions. Shepherds and teachers. And these guys, this office, they exercise leadership through teaching and nurturing the congregation. Through teaching and shepherding the congregation by imparting doctrine and shepherding in that doctrine the congregation. So think about this. Think about shepherds. First of all, the imagery of shepherd, which was applied to God, go back and read like Genesis 49. Like it was used of God to, to kind of describe the way he cared for and protected his people. And it comes to then be applied now to his church leaders as they carry out Jesus' pastoral ministry. And so this idea of shepherding is, is, a, is a concept of, that God modeled for us. And he still gifts his church in very practical, hands-on ways today. The leaders are given to be shepherds of God's flock who pattern their pastoral ministry after Christ's example. 1 Peter 5.2 Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. There's more to that verse, but 
just see, just shepherd just plainly. Their role is to shepherd the flock of God. Now he also says this other kind of function is teachers. So shepherd and then teachers. In Paul's letters, teaching is an authoritative function that is concerned with faithfully transmitting doctrine. So the role here is not just to inform you of some practical things for life, but is to actually teach and faithfully transmit doctrine. How do we believe concerning God? And everything from there. But these teachers not only impart information, but are also to urge the hearers to live by what they are taught. So that's why in our preaching, it's why in house gatherings, that there's two components. There's a transmission of information, but then a plead and an encouragement and a help to apply that and to live that out. So pastors, again, are not just people who transmit information as just mere teachers. You know, if you think about high school, college, I mean, think about a lot, think about the teachers who stand out, right? You have certain teachers that just get up and lecture, right? And sometimes they stand out because they're just good lecturers, but usually the teachers who stand out are, are not just the lecturers, but the ones who begin to even shepherd the people, now, I'm not saying that they're shepherding as God would want them to, but, but in a sense, though, they, they're not only transmitting information, but then they're also helping their students get there. The pastor's role is not just to transmit information, but to also help the body apply the Scriptures and live accordingly. So let's build on that idea with the second big thought here. See Christ's gift of leadership as generous aid to your work of building up the body. Okay? See Christ's gift of leadership as generous aid to your work of building up the body. Let's sit here for a few moments. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Alright? So, here's where I want you to see something here. This is, this is incredible. As I'm studying the scriptures this week, and just, it's just such a gift here. I want you to see, if you're writing down subpoints, here would be a subpoint. The men in verse 11 are the gifts themselves. I want to explain that. The men in verse 11 are the gifts themselves. Let me explain that to you. Go read the other passages on spiritual gifting. Particularly one, we looked at this in our house gathering last week. 1 Corinthians verse chapter 12. And if you notice in these passages, particularly 1 Corinthians verse 12, or chapter 12, the variety of gifts are allocated by the Spirit as well as the exercising of those gifts. So you have the gift of, uh, not, not in chapter 12, but you know, gifts of mercy and gifts of servant, uh, gifts of 
uh, of teaching, gifts of uh, administration, these kind of things. These are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, and, and He administers and allocates those, and, and then they seek to, He, he, he uh, allocates the exercise of them and the strength of those. But here, here, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, the gifts are the persons themselves from Jesus Christ. So he's not just talking about these gifts that are given to different people. Like here he's talking about the gift of these men are given to the church. Not just the, like, certainly the gifts of mercy and gifts of administration. These things are, these are awesome and we, we need these. But here it's different. It's the gift of these men. These gifts are given these men, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, are gifts themselves. These people are gifts themselves given by the ascended Lord Jesus Christ. These men are given in order to lead the church to experience the fullness of Christ. Let's talk through that. Each person in the body under the direction and equipping of the elders, use their gift. And when they do so, you get to experience the wonderful fullness of Jesus Christ. Now when we talked about that last week, like I want to ask this question again. Like, Did that get at your heart? Like, Have you begun to see that you have gifts and that they are not for your sake, but for the body of Christ. That Jesus died and gave you gifts, both yours and the gifts of your brothers and sisters, out of the bounty of His victory. That out of, the, out of His death, burial, resurrection, as we're about to celebrate this week, that out of that comes these gifts for you and for me to be used for the sake of others, ultimately for the sake of His glory. And when you see them as gifts from a generous gift giver, this requires something of us, that we can't just sit on these gifts. You can't just idly let these gifts go by. You can't just let your gift plateau. It's not just for you to, just to pull out whenever we want to, but it's a gift for the body that you have been given and if you see it as a generous gift from Christ, then it requires something of you and I. The same is true when you see God's leaders for the church as wonderful gifts from a generous gift giver. And that's what he's going here in verse 11. When you see these men as gifts from a generous gift giver, then it demands something of you and of us. When we see them as gifts from a generous gift giver, what flows, when we think about what is appropriate in receiving gifts from our Redeemer, and what is appropriate when we think about leaders in the church that are gifts from Jesus? I think of things that flow from that, like respect, following, honor. And if they're gifts from a generous gift giver, then they are meant for your good. 
Because Jesus doesn't give us gifts that are not meant for our good, does He? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, these are given to us for our good. Your pastors and their teaching and modeling is for your good. Like I would, I would encourage you, church, as we plod through this this morning, but when I think about this as an application in my own life, right? It's one of the reasons why I believe a church should have a plurality of elders. Because the question would be then, who are the ones given for my good? Who are the elders given for, for my care? I'm just, it's just me on my own? Just me and Jesus? I mean, that's what I hear said a lot is, well, just, Jesus and I were fine. Listen, I have, a, I have a brother who's pastoring a church by himself, desperately wanting a plurality of elders and moving that direction. It's just having qualified, someone qualified to raise up next to him. And he's struggling. He's struggling. So what is he? Ha- he's having to look to other pastors of other churches to, to care for him. But that's not the same. It's not the same as being in covenant with one another and, and in the same body and doing life together and these kind of, the way God intends for it to be. And so as I think about this, like when, in my journey, if I, if I was just be just honest with you guys, six years roughly that we've been here, Rusty and I have been pastors together from the very beginning. When I began to view Rusty as my pastor, like, that changed everything. Like, it changed, like, my own heart just began to change, began to be encouraged in a, in a way that I'd never experienced before. Like, that's unique. And that's what I'm trying, like, I'm trying to say to you, church, that when you begin to view God's leaders as gifts to you, it changes things. And I'm saying that, first of all, because God's Word says it. So believe it because the Word said it. If you need a little encouragement in doing that, it's been my experience that that is true. You see, when we see them as gifts from a generous gift giver, we will not do things like forsake their teaching. What does it look like to forsake their teaching? What does it look like let me ask you this. Let me ask the positive side of this. What does it look like to faithfully study and prepare? What does it look like to ready your heart to hear the teaching on Sunday morning? What does that look like? I mean, I get it, right? I, 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 now more than ever, four kids, getting up in the morning, it's crazy. I have a different role now. I'm still trying to get used to. Uh, and... Like, getting my mind wrapped around being prepared to come in here is a totally different world than it was three months ago. But that's okay. It's just a new place, a new part of life, a new opportunity to glorify our Savior. So the question is, how do you ready yourself to take advantage of the teaching? What does it look like to, to uh, make commitments to take advantage of that? So again, if you see it as gifts from a generous gift giver, then it will change your perspective on how you interact and relate and, and 
and what you do with your schedule and time and such when it comes to their teaching. How about their wisdom? Do you see God's wisdom through your leaders as gifts from a generous gift giver? Wisdom on how to navigate through life. How about the application of Scripture? Sometimes we just need someone else to say, hey, you know, there's this passage over here that speaks right into your situation. Let me help you with that. Here's another thought. How about, if you see them as gifts from a generous gift giver, the idea of observing their life and imitating their faith. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Right? So again, if you see them as gifts from Jesus, that has great impact then on how do I view them? How do I interact with them? How do I see them? Do I see them as, as people to just kind of take and leave as I see fit? Kind of the way we oftentimes do with God? Or do I see them as gifts meant to be good for my life that I can look to, that God has given to me for my good? Alright? So, Begin, I want you your mind to begin going down this road. So let's talk about these <clears throat> other gifts, though, that are not the persons themselves, but the, the gifts given by the Spirit, given to each person in the body. So let's go here for a second. Your gifts and the use of your gifts are guided and encouraged by the elders or the pastors that God has given to this church or any church that you're a part of. That's the way it should be. So this is why, if you, verse 8, look at verse 8. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This, in verse 8, we indicate that all of the varying graces of verse 7 are gifts from Christ's bounty, right? Did you follow me there? Let me say it a different way. All of the graces that come out of verse 8, he's referring to the gifts in verse 7. All of those come out of the bounty of Christ's victory. Then in verse 11, what we have deliberately emphasized are these other gifts, these men that are given to the church For the edification of the body, the equipping of the body, the encouragement of the body, the leading of the body, the growing up and building up of the body, and of course, as we're going to study in the next weeks to come, the avoidance of false teaching as we seek to be built up in the body. So these gifted leaders, these leaders that are gifted to the church, are here to enable others to exercise their own respective gifts so that the body is built to maturity, wholeness, and unity. Here's what I'm saying. There's a reason why I think Paul begins with these gifts. They're foundational to the body. Both those in the prophets and the apostles and giving us the Scriptures, 
and the pastors and teachers who are to lead us in the Scriptures. That both of those are foundational. That those are where the gifts, the other gifts that the Spirit gives to the body, find their encouragement, find their guidance, and find the framework for them to run freely in, and find the oversight that God has given. That it's meant to flow and be gifted to and guided and encouraged by those elders. So what does this mean? This means that that you are not autonomous in the use of your gifts. What it means is that you and I don't get to just choose when and how and where and how we would like to express these things and utilize these gifts. It also means, though, that you're not alone in the development of these gifts. It means that you're not on your own to grow in these gifts. More on some of that in just a few moments. What I want you to see here is, a little more emphatically, that the saints are equipped, that's the church, that the saints are equipped for ministry by the apostles, prophets, and evangelists. Again, these offices are now gone, but experienced through the Word. We look to the Scriptures for aid in the development of these gifts. It's in the Scriptures that we learn what kind of gifts there are. It's in the Scriptures that we learn what these gifts are meant to do. Namely, help us experience the fullness of Christ and grow into maturity. And we learn who we use these gifts for. The building up of the body of Christ. So it's, it's, it's to the apostles and prophets that we can certainly turn. But it's also the saints are equipped for ministry by the pastors, the shepherds and teachers. Let's think again, back to this idea of teachers and shepherds. Two functions. Teachers. They equip you by training and doctrine. I mean, this is going to, we're going to talk in a few weeks to come. This is very important as we finish out chapter 4. That training and doctrine and the knowledge of God and His revelation of Himself and how we believe rightly, this is very primary and very fundamental, even to the use of your own gift. Now, the pastor or teacher's primary role is to instruct the people in the proper way to believe. That's one of our very primary functions that we give. That's one of the gifts that God gives to the church. I had this thought. You know, it's not my role to give you five hints to an enjoyable marriage or five good thoughts. It's my role to help you see what the Scriptures say about faithful marriage. You know, one of the things that changed my marriage was, was when I began to view it as, an outward, as a very tangible display of the relationship between Jesus and His bride. So, I mean, how do I seek to apply that? Well, that means a whole lot of things, right? Does Jesus get short with His bride and angry at His bride? I mean, I mean... Angry, at least not for selfish reasons or not for, not for sinful reasons. Does, does, does he lay down his life and sacrifice for his wife? Or does he you just kind of say, I'm going to do what I want to do? And, right? So it begins to change things. So my role is not to just give you, or Rusty's role is not to just give you hints to have a good life, but to faithfully instruct you of the things concerning God and how they apply to your life. But there's all this idea of shepherds as well. So we talk about equipping by information and doctrine. 
Now we're talking about equipping by guiding and caring. A shepherd leads and cares for the souls of the people. He seeks to help the people live faithfully according to the teaching of the Scriptures. And I think about even in my own ministry, coming, you know, I was a youth pastor uh, at the age of um, uh, 18. I just graduated high school. And shortly after that, became a youth pastor. I mean, it was crazy. I would never would have hired me. Uh, I'm not even. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, and I look at like just my shepherding then, and I and I and and I go, wow. You know, what was I thinking? Or why did I do things this way? And and I think about how that's grown, and and how I pray that God grows that further in the in the years to come. But there's this sense of caring for people and, and leading their souls. And, you know, particularly for someone who, I think my spiritual gift is more prophecy. It's to, it's to say, here's the truth. Now, church, let's go, you know. It's kind of my role and, and, and even my gifting. But even that has to be, I, I have to grow in how do I then be compassionate and merciful in that and, and help people come to that instead of just saying, here's the demands of Scripture. The second way in which shepherds are meant to be an encouragement to the body is equipping you by their way of life. Equipping you by their way of life. Back to that Hebrews passage. This is where the imitating their faith comes in. The way they apply the truths of Scriptures to their lives. Listen, I want to encourage you. Your elders are far from perfect, okay? But they are nevertheless Christ's gift to you. Even as imitatable models for faith. Does that make sense? Let me repeat that again. Your elders are far from perfect, in case you didn't know that. But they are Christ's gift to you nevertheless. So as I think about this, as I think about equipping by, the, by their way of life. Like, I'm not saying that you should look to your elders because your elders are awesome. I mean, Rusty is. But what I'm saying to you is that you should look because Christ has given them to you as gifts. Listen, I, I want to just be transparent with you. I spend hours a week studying the Scriptures in order to teach you on Sunday morning. But listen, it's not because it's my job. Right? I don't get paid to do this. You all care for my family's needs. And then I choose to spend my time in this way for a particular reason. I do it because it's my gifting, and it's not for me. It's for you. Now, I'm not saying I always do that selfishly or do that perfectly. I'm saying when my heart's in the right place, that time's not for me. Although I enjoy it, and I think I get more out of it than anybody else does. I, I, I get that. I get that. But it's not because it's a job. It's because... God has gifted me to do this, what I'm doing right now, 
And it's not for me, but for you. It's Christ's gift. It's the bounty of his victory for the benefit of your soul for all eternity. Listen, if I do something else with the gift that God's given me, that's not what it's meant for, whether it's I just sit on it and not use it, or don't develop it, or don't grow in it and seek to utilize it to the best that I can for your guys' good, then I am simply robbing you of the spoils of Christ's victory that are yours. Now, I want you to think about that On the flip side, on your side, you have gifts that are the spoils of Christ's victory that are not yours to do whatever you want to with them. And what I'm arguing this morning, at the very least, is that your elders, your pastors are here to help lead you to not sit idly with your gifts, to not use them for whatever you want to but to be led in using those gifts for the purpose of the body and building up others in Christ. So your elders are God's gift. It made me think of uh, this phrase, uh, well, you just think you're God's gift to mankind, right? You ever heard that phrase? So I thought about saying that. I thought maybe if I said that, it might taint the sermon in the wrong way, but it's too funny not to say it, and I don't ever have many funnies. So, like... Yes, listen, your elders are God's gift to you, okay? Your pastors are God's gift to you. And I hope you see us that way. I hope you would always see whether God moves you onto another congregation at some point in your life and that you would see even past pastors, even in their imperfections, that you would see them as God's gift to you. That you would see them in that light. Your elders are indeed God's gift to you. To help you develop your gifts and to oversee the use of your gifts that we might all experience the fullness of Christ and grow into the fullness of Christ. Amen? Amen. Here's my next thought underneath here, and that is this. You have a personal responsibility then to seek being equipped by your leaders you have a personal response this again when we have gifts and these kind of things happen they demand certain things of us see the gifting of leaders for the purpose of equipping the saints right that's where we're at in this passage the gifting of the leaders for the purpose of equipping the saints assumes i believe a joyful submission of the followers let me read to you 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Listen. Esteeming them highly in love comes easily when you see them as gifts from the hands of Jesus. When you see them as anything else, esteeming them highly becomes very, very hard. This is 
which, uh, which what I mean is this. Willful, joyful following is a part of this journey. This is more than just simply doing what you're asked. It's actually seeking the guidance and direction. Right? And we tend to think of well, a leader... If he hasn't spoken on it, like, I can just do whatever I want. That's just not the way it works with God, right? We don't just go, well, God has said this, and he hasn't said anything over here, so I can do what I want to over here. No, we, we seek the will of our Father, and we, we follow him. And So just painting this picture that it's your role, you have a personal responsibility to seek being equipped, to take advantage of that in, a, in the good sense of the word. So here's the question then. How do we practically do that? Just very practical. How do, we, how do leaders practically oversee and equip the saints to use their gifts for the good and the building up of the body? Here's the deal. We don't need, meaning myself and you or Rusty and you, do not need to have 1,500 conversations about the specifics of each of your spiritual gifts. Okay? Like that's just not even feasible. That's not even how it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be we need a play-by-play and then tell you how to run the play-by-play. Our role is to give you the Scriptures, to equip you with the Scriptures, to give great attention to the teaching of the Word and instructing you in doctrine and right belief, and then for you, through the power of the Spirit, to live accordingly. Now, there is room to certainly work that out and flesh that out practically and, and ask for help and, and those kind of things. So I'm not precluding that or, or dismissing that idea. What I'm saying is that the primary way that we then equip you is through the teaching and the modeling of the Word for you. And then you give yourself to the applying of the Word. Listen, we do these things all the time. Sundays, house gatherings, DNA, seminars that we do. These, these are opportunities to, to equip you for what God's called you to do. I want to encourage you that it's more than attendance. But are you readying your mind for what Christ has given you? Does that make sense? So even, even thinking of Sunday mornings, right? It's not enough to just come. But are are you seeking in your coming to be equipped for the ministry? To do the work God's called you to do? You see, look, the, the expectations of legalism are, you know, they're down here. But the expectations of a heart that's fully involved and fully in love with God, that's a whole different story. Legalism says just come to church and check your box off. But Jesus cares where your heart is in the process. So I just encourage you, when you think about these kinds of things, you think about God's equipping you through your leaders, don't be the person that looks at King Jesus who is giving you a great gift and says, you know, I know you're King Jesus and you know all, but I think I'm good. I'll let you just keep that gift for today. That's just Crazy. I just want to appeal to you that that's just crazy. Jesus stands with a gift to give you from His perfect, loving, all-good, all-knowing hand. Why would we turn that away? 
I think we'd turn that away, and all we have to do is name our temporary indulgence for the moment. But let's be the kind of people that don't turn those away. Let me give you this last thought. Up until this moment, I have let you maintain your own view of the work of ministry. Okay? What is the work of ministry? Let me say this. You have a personal responsibility to do the work of ministry. Okay? We're going to press into this last point here. Verse 11. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. For the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. See, the work of ministry is the building up the body of Christ. That's the work of ministry. He defines it in the next phrase. The building up the body of Christ. If you've been in church for any given period of time, you're likely to define the work of ministry in a thousand different ways. The work of ministry looks like maintaining programs and keeping people happy and keeping a building full and you know shooting for 1,500 in attendance on Easter. I saw that at a church recently. Like, so what ministry? What is ministry? What is doing the work of ministry? It is building up the body of Christ. It's constructing the building for which God will dwell. You hear me? That's the work of ministry. It's constructing the building that God Himself is going to dwell. What a task. I mean, Chris, I don't know about you, but I look at that and I go, Huh? (laughs) How's that going to happen? I can't do that. But I'm called to be part of that. Ephesians 2, 20-22 says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, and the Holy Spirit's the one doing this building. We all have a role in the building of this structure that will house our holy and magnificent God. That's what we're called to. That's the work of the ministry. Guys, we don't only get to watch that happen, we actually get to be a part of doing it. Now we talk about this constructing. What does this constructing look like? A couple things come to mind here. That constructing this building involves the addition of new believers. It involves the addition of new believers. It means new people coming into the kingdom, whether that's here or other churches alike. You see, why? Where, where did I say it? Where did I get that from in this passage? Well, I look a little bit broader in the beginning of Ephesians. This building involves all the chosen people from Ephesians 1. This building requires all the chosen people of chapter 1 that God has picked for His kingdom. And until that is done, our Savior is waiting to come. And these people that God is redeeming, and we don't know who they are, but these people that God is redeeming are going to redeem, they all have gifts and they all play a part in this 
process and this role in this family. Listen, our job is to share the gospel and go find the rest of the missing pieces to this building. You think about that? You ever been trying to build something and you're missing some pieces? Anybody? Anybody? Come on. Right? Yeah. It's usually because I misplaced it. But uh, there are chosen pieces for the particular assembly of this item that I'm building. There's other pieces that don't belong. There's certain pieces that belong. My role in constructing that is to find all those pieces and put that whole thing together. Listen, our building this dwelling place of God involves finding the pieces, the missing pieces. It's part of the work of the ministry. It's bringing these pieces together. Again, you and I don't know who God has chosen. So we share the gospel with everyone. And those who are Jesus' sheep will hear His voice and they will come. Maybe not the first time they, you speak His voice, but eventually they will come. But then it's also this constructing this building involves building each other up into maturity. Building each other up into maturity. Every last person in Christ is being built up to maturity. Let me give you an implication of this. Just a little bit of a test. If I was to say, how do we apply this to thinking about salvation? I would ask you this. How are you responding to the work of the ministry in being built up? When people are doing the work of the ministry around you and to you, how are you responding? Are you being built up to maturity in Christ? Or are you just like this? Or are you like this? What's going on? I'm not saying this is necessarily the case, but it could mean that you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And so when the work of the ministry is happening around you, you just kind of float on through. And then I would ask you the other side of this question is, are you doing the work of ministry in other people's lives? Are you helping to build them up? This is not an option. We are all given the task to build up the body of Christ to maturity. It's just the way each of us do that looks very differently. So I want to encourage you. The gifts of the church are only yours, both from other people and intrinsically from the Spirit by the blood of Christ. And I'll just plead with you to See Him as the gracious Savior that He is. Beg Him for forgiveness and believe that He is the Son of God who paid the price for your sin and has readied this place for His gifts. So the work of the ministry is the building up of the body of Christ. And I want to encourage you that one of the primary opportunities you have to use your gifts for the body of Christ is when we gather together. Is when we gather together. In Hebrews 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Listen, we talk about this in almost like it's in a vacuum, or not a vacuum, but kind of isolated by itself. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. Why is that so important? I want you to put this and Ephesians together so that we can stir up each other to love and good works, so that we can encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. Why would meeting together have this kind of impact on encouraging each other? Because when we meet together, we get to use our gifts for the benefit of others. We get to use our gifts that God has given us. Why do we have these gifts? It's for building us up in Christ, encouraging us on to persevere all the more as we see the day drawing near. I mean, certainly this isn't the only way that we get to use our gifts. I mean, I think about the hours in the office I spend studying by myself in isolation, not gathered with anyone. Well, Rusty's, you know, 10 feet away, but, you know, we're not talking. I'm not using my gift in that moment to bless his heart. I mean, sometimes I come out and be like, hey, man, I'm reading this. This is crazy. What do you think? Yeah, you're crazy. (laughs) So I'm not saying that's the only way to use our gifts. But I'm saying it's a primary way we use our gifts. That's why he tells us not to neglect. It's not just because we need to come do the church thing or because we just need to come encourage each other. How do we encourage each other? With the gifts that Jesus has given us. So how this practically works out. And the, the next thing I want to say is that this is not just the tasks of the elders. This idea of, this idea of building up the body, doing the work of ministry is not primary, not just the tasks of the elders. I know many of you grew up in churches where the pastor did all the ministries and a lot of you, the deacons told him what to do. But the pastor did all the ministry. He was the one that did all the preaching. He did all the visiting. He did all the evangelizing. He did the counseling. And he was the only one who really did the real discipleship. Right? Is that too far from many of our experiences? Jesus' plan, this is not his plan for his church. His plan for the church is that the elders and the pastors equip the saints and that they all do the ministry together with the elders leading and overseeing the charge. The role, our role is to equip you to do the ministry and then we do this together this means that every member is responsible for doing the work of the ministry which again is namely helping all god's chosen people grow up in jesus christ that is all of our roles i I, I get this often What, what am i supposed to be doing in life what am i what's how does god want to use me start here And then we can get into the specifics of what that might look like. But just start here. Start with learning the Word and helping other people know the Word and living it out faithfully and encouraging each other with the Scriptures. Helping each other grow up into maturity. So I would say this. You should be actively doing the ministry. You should be able to look back over the past week or two weeks and go, where have I been serving in such a way to build up the body of Christ to maturity in Him. Where have I been doing that? 
And I want to encourage you that, again, if you have a very narrow view of ministry, a very traditional view of ministry where the pastors do these kinds of things and, and so on and so forth, then, then you're going to see, you're going to go look back and you go, well, I don't think I've done any ministry this week. And for some of us, maybe that is true. But I would encourage you to think. I, like when I think of, you know, like my wife at home with the kids, like we don't know whether they're redeemed or not, whether God has chosen to bring them into the fold or, or what, but she's doing ministry to our children. How else is she doing ministry? Well, her model of doing that is, should be, Lord willing, an encouragement to other ladies to, to do the work of the ministry in their life and in their family and with their kids and so on and so forth. And so I want to make sure that you understand you don't have such a narrow view of ministry. Or think about your workplace. Are you doing the work of ministry at your workplace with the unredeemed people that are around you? Are you seeking them with the good news of Jesus? Waiting for them to respond to the call of our Master. Are you doing the work of the ministry? Are you readying your heart to grow and your mind to grow? Like practically, like get rest before hearing me preach for an hour and a half, okay? Get some rest. Come prepared, right? I don't preach for an hour and a half just for the record. An hour and 12 minutes. Almost there. <laughs> come prepared for that. It's not something you can just lightly go do. You come prepared. How is that doing the work of the ministry? Preparing and readying your heart to hear the word and, and, and to be changed. And then out of that change, what do you get to go do? You get to go help encourage other people in the same thing. So I'm saying when we see the work of the ministry, it's not just those who get paid to do the work of the ministry. It's all of us. And it involves a whole lot more than just our serving opportunities on Sunday mornings. Even though those are certainly a part of it. So in closing, I want to encourage you with this. I want to encourage you with two very generous gifts from Jesus. The first one was this from last week. He has given you a gift and given each one of us This spiritual gift that comes with the Holy Spirit upon redemption. This gift is meant to help you experience the fullness of God now, of Christ now, and help you persevere in growing into the fullness of Christ. Praise the Lord for that gift. Praise the Lord for those gifts. Number two, He has given you the gift of leaders. Both the ones that are now gone, the apostles and prophets, and the elders, pastors in the church now that are here to help you not only understand God, but they are gifts to help you do the work of the ministry. So that we are all built up in Christ. You understand that? You understand? That's why a lot of churches are very anemic and weak. Why? Because there's only one or two or three or four people doing the work of the ministry. But what if we're all doing the work of the ministry? What if we're all seeking to build each other up in Christ? What does that look like? That looks like strength. That looks like power. That looks like a place that God would dwell. Does it not? It does. So I would encourage you, He's giving you leaders to help with this. What gifts? What generosity from our Savior? So here would be my question. Do you follow your leaders in being equipped to do the work of the ministry? And do you do the work of the ministry 
as one who is gifted to do the work of the ministry and equipped to do the work of the ministry, as though that working and that doing is a result of Christ's victory over sin and death and Satan. Do you do the work of the ministry? Do you build each other up as though as one who has been gifted out of the spoils of Christ's death and resurrection and His power over sin? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Fathers, I pray that we would see these great gifts you've given to us as a church. Men to help equip us. The opportunity to be equipped. Father, the opportunity to not just watch ministry happen, but actually the calling and the equipping and the grace to be the ones doing the work of the ministry. We all get to do that. We all get to build each other up to maturity in Christ. Even as our leaders lead in doing that and oversee in doing that. But Father, we all get to be a part of that. Father, I pray that we would see that as our opportunity. That that's the work of the ministry. It's not defined by a paycheck. It's not defined by, by amount of hours. Or it's not defined by, by uh, Sunday mornings, Father. But it's, it's defined by helping build up your people to be mature followers of Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I pray that you would give us this kind of vision for working out the ministry that you've called us to. Father, I give you praise for that. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.